0: talk about the risks of AI have exploded since the advent of generative AI. And I, of course, tend to focus on what I would call the ethical risks of generative AI, large language models, et cetera. I actually just wrote a recent Harvard Business Review article on this, the ethical risks of generative AI, in particular, the kinds of risks that are exacerbated or novel to generative AI. I can't stand that I have to keep saying the phrase generative AI. It's such a cumbersome thing to say, but Gen AI, I guess I could say Gen AI, it sounds a little bit too slick for my liking, but we'll we'll deal with it. There's certain kinds of ethical risks that are associated with Gen AI, but one thing that's right next to ethical risks is cyber risks, cybersecurity risks. And I've heard lots of ways, or I've heard in, you know, in the air, various ways that LLMs create cybersecurity threats, but I didn't really have a decent understanding of it. So I wanted to talk to Matt Rosenquist, who I talk with often and we work together And he always has a good grip on what's going on. In fact, you may have heard him and he and I talking on a previous episode. I think he was on episode three or four or something along those lines. So this conversation really just starts with my ignorance and Matt educating me on what are the kinds of things that we need to think about when we think about cybersecurity risks and generative AI, particularly large language models. Really cool stuff. I mean, you're going to hear some awesome stories about different ways that people hack things. Frankly, I sort of wish I were a hacker. It sounds very fun. Or maybe a cyber security guy who defends against the hacks, but that feels less fun. Maybe if you've seen the movie Sneakers, I wish I wore Robert Redford or something along those lines. Anyway, there's nothing for me to really highlight for you at this point. You're going to learn a bunch. You're going to learn a lot about how LLMs, Gen.A.I. in general, create certain kinds of cyber risks and exacerbates existing cyber risks. Some really cool stories about different things that clever hackers have done. Super, super interesting, so I hope you enjoy it. Quick notes. Number one, you've got something to say to me. You got a problem? If you have a suggestion for me about a person or a topic you want me to have on, you want me to discuss, then please send me an email. It's em, as in ethical machines, em at reedblackman.com. Send me the email. And if you like the podcast, please share with other people. Take out your phone right now. Hit the five-star button. Write a review. Reed's amazing, or he's not, but the show is good anyway. Something along those lines. Always appreciate it. All right, let's get to it. All right, Matt. So I'm starting from a place of ignorance, as I told you. When I think about generative AI and the work that I do, particularly particular around ethical risks, I think in terms of two categories, roughly speaking, I think about number one, what are the kinds of ethical risks that already existed pre-Gen AI that are now exacerbated? They're worse now with Gen AI. And then second category is what are the new or novel ethical risks now that we've got Gen AI? And I've got my take on that. You know. But what I want to know is the analog in the cybersecurity realm. What are the existing cybersecurity problems that are exacerbated? And what are the novel ones? Let's okay. start
1: there. And and I like the way you broke that up because there are ones in the forefront that are very, very obvious around Gen AI, but there's also ones that are a little hidden and in the background, and we're not too worried about it now because we're, you know, dealing with the squeaky wheel that we know is the problem. And especially with Gen AI, Gen AI gives an attacker, somebody with malicious intent, a whole new suite of tools, right? They can generate images. They can generate text. They can generate video sounds. They can mimic voices. And the so walk first thing me through
0: an example, well, yeah, walk me through an example where they're where they're, yeah where they're okay. Using, so you know, if you look the at a new tool fake, for an attack,
1: if you look at deepfakes, and there's all sorts of them out there. You can take a you know president or former president or Einstein and basically create a video of that person saying anything you want them to say. Their lips move in sync with what you want. And there's different ways of doing that. You can have a live person right as your input feed and the computer is overlaying Einstein's image and actually manipulating the image to follow the patterns of your actor, your impersonator. And the impersonator can be speaking into a microphone, obviously in their own voice. And yet the computer is then modifying it. It's modulating it based upon its engine to sound just like Einstein. Yeah. So if you want to make so- Einstein sound like he can't do simple multiplication, you can do that and you can create a video of it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we're, you know, I think we're all familiar with examples of deep fakes and the, and the threat of misinformation and say elections. I guess that's sure. a kind of, I guess one could call it a cyber threat. I don't really know. It's certainly some kind of threat. How would they use it, or how might it be used in a... When I think of cybersecurity, and maybe I'm wrong to do this. Tell me if I'm wrong to do this. I tend to... I guess I think about attacking corporations and attacking government in a sort of, you know, trying to get access to their systems, trying to get access to the data that they have that you're not supposed to have access to. So, yeah, I can create a fake Einstein. That might be amusing. Maybe I create a fake Biden or a fake Trump or something to make them look bad, worse. The question then is... That's not an attack on the systems, the cybersecurity systems or the, the systems that are holding data of a corporation or a government. So how am I going to use generative AI to hack into those systems? We've
1: That's already seen right this word. happen, right? They're not impersonating the president or a personality. They're impersonating your CEO or CFO. Matt. We've had you know, an advanced level business compromise where somebody calls you know, accounts payable, and they sound like this person's boss, or the CFO, or the CEO on the phone, saying, "Hey, I need you to cut a PO to right. this right now. We're late. Send five hundred thousand dollars right now." Well, okay. Right, and it used to
0: be emails that that yes. were impersonating the CEO. Business but email voice is so much yes. more, con- but this is so much more convincing, so much right? More. And that's just on yeah. the phone. And
1: right? we've been
0: trained. We've been trained to question that's the right. legitimacy of an email.
1: Question your email. Question not your text. so with voices why would you question the phone, right? Somebody yeah, right, on the phone, right. especially told me. Yeah. if they're answering questions. Now, the first generation is basically having the computer create a script and you know play that script to somebody and hope they don't get asked any questions. But as you get more evolved, again, if you have a live actor that can have their voice synthesized to mimic that CEO or CFO or boss, superior, person of authority, then, yeah, you can actually have a conversation with your so-called boss, and it becomes even more convincing. And that's just voice. yeah. I mean, we've also like seen people impersonate on like Zoom calls, video calls, where you're impersonating people. You know, change your backgrounds all the time. People put funny little right. face masks and noses and horns. You know, in real time, you can now put somebody else's face over yours.
0: Well, and I imagine. I see the face point. With the voices, I imagine that, you know, I've seen I've seen examples like for, I saw a demonstration for Khan Academy at a conference mm-hmm. I was at recently where you can start interacting, having a conversation with characters in the book, for instance. So you could have a conversation with Eeyore the donkey. This is for educational purposes, right? But you might imagine, let's say, English isn't your first language, you're not that quick on your feet, but an LLM that's been trained to have a certain kind of personality might you know, can as it were, think on its feet. Mm-hmm. And so you can instead of having an actor do the interacting, I imagine if it's not exist doesn't exist exist now, it'll exist soon. You have an LLM assume a certain kind of personality, you instruct it to have a certain kind of personality, and then it does the interaction
1: on the fly. And not even just the personality. You can, because of an LLM, right, you can draw upon a tremendous amount of information. How about having a synthetic personality take the LSAT for you? Sure. Right. Your face online. Maybe it's not even your voice. Right. But yeah, they could take that test. They'd probably pass it, in fact. Right. If you look at the latest numbers. Mm -hmm. What about uh, applying for a job? Video interview. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. We've seen that. We've seen that. The image is the same, but the voice is different. I actually worked a case where that was exactly the point. The face was of the employee that, or the, the prospective employee, but the voice was right. different. And that person got hired with this company and a right. very smart supervisor in one of their first group meetings, they heard this person talk and they had a completely different accent. Oh, interesting. And they're like, wait a second, wait a second. <laughs> <Your> voice, <laughs> this it was voice training classes. Voice training, the they were they, the saying... <laughs> But the voice—that's—I'm
0: sorry—that's the wrong right. part of the world, and that's sort of that's sort of fortuitous. But it might be the case that, you know, well, there might just not be an accent issue, right? And also, some people just aren't going to catch it. Maybe the voice is a little bit lower, a little bit deeper, but it's in the vicinity. And then I imagine you'll also be able to fake the accent as well, oh, right? So eventually, fake yes. The voice, I mean, we'll just fake the
1: accent too. So it's all it's all of a piece. This all evolves, and computing okay. systems rely upon some level of identity, right? And we all hate passwords. We're moving away from passwords or trying to. And we're moving to biometrics. We're moving to other things. And there are other hacking tools that can take care of pieces of it. But when you start getting into biometrics, whether it be voice, whether it be image, whether it be whatever, you've got other potential risks down the road. We're not seeing a huge amount right now, but other risks down the road to be able to undermine that.
0: Yeah, I could see this. I mean, I could see, you know, why being able to verify someone's identity remotely is so important. And you can't just do it with face and voice, at least either you can't do it now or you can't do it in the relatively near future. And then the blockchain people are going to start screaming and that's always annoying about identity. And I don't know, I always find that <laughs> It was just say blockchain and, uh, and sovereign identity or something, and then like, it's a <laughs> the problem. I, don't, I never know how. I'm a blockchain
1: <laughs> fan, so yes, I love blockchain.
0: Uh, Immutable really?
1: records, but that doesn't undermine what we're talking about here. Right, right. are laughing and going, sure, you know, that's fine.
0: Okay, there's a couple of threads going on mm-hmm. right now in the conversation. One of them is using generative AI to impersonate someone of authority within an organization, thereby gaining access to... Money, data, etc. Okay, I get, I get. That's one that's going on, mm-hmm. and so I suppose there, there's going to be something like, what, what, and then the analogous one is also verifying the identity of an employee or a test taker or whatever it is. In both kinds of cases, you need some kind of verification of identity. Yes, right, and so maybe you could say something about blockchain. Maybe not, but. <laughs> Is there a default way or a growing consensus about how we're supposed to deal with the fact that the digital
1: is becoming so fakeable? We're still working on that, right? We we hadn't even solved identity problems before this. And this is just right. compounding those. So yeah. and even if you have a super strong, let's say a two-factor over the phone and everything else, that's great, but there always tends to be a failover system. Because if your executive loses their phone and they're traveling and they really need access, they're going to call somebody, right? Or somebody is going to call. And having that interaction trumps what is on your phone or not having a phone or something like that. So even though in many cases, this type of impersonation will defeat the current tools... The attackers are very creative. They're going to be searching for that password reset, right? right Those right. kinds of things that will eventually fall into an area that people have a high degree of trust. I get you on the phone. Yeah. I get you on a video call. Yeah. I know. I just, I just verified you. Right. And so, sure, I'll reset your password. Oh, you want your email changed too? Yeah. Okay. Sure. I, I, I verified. So it is preying upon our inherent trust in what we see and what we hear. That is a fundamental issue so okay so so it sounds like one of the big one of the big threats here
0: is something like call them identity problems or problems with verifying identity
1: something along those lines impersonation that's the sexy problems right we can talk about the non-sexy problems too yeah i want to hear other other categories in the the news
0: it is sexy i'm 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 titillated
1: so what
0: what other kinds of risks What are the other categories, sexy or otherwise, that we need to
1: think about? Okay, there's privacy risks, there's security risks. Let's talk first primarily about the security risks. When you create these LLMs, the benefit, there is a greater benefit the more you connect it to data, right? So if you're a company and you're going to use an LLM, let's say, to interact with your customer base because you want 24 by 7 support and you want your LLM to have a great conversation and provide help, documents, password resets, whatever. Sure. Great automation, customers gonna love it, low cost, high efficiency. But what do you have to do? You have to now connect that LLM system to your password and your authentication system because they may do password resets. You're gonna have to connect them to your database, maybe your engineering database, maybe your help desk database, maybe this, maybe that. And so now you have a system that can search and query and has rights to get into it so what All happens right. when there's a vulnerability and the attacker can attack that tool yeah, the and out. now it can use that as a l- attack platform to get in or simply harvest data we've already yeah, seen. so that's another interesting way of sort of
0: slicing up the space one is Things that are vulnerable by virtue of using an LLM or some other generative AI tool.
1: Mm -hmm. That is to say
0: using the tool as a kind of crowbar, using LLMs as a kind of crowbar, as opposed to crowbarring into the LLM, which then creates a vulnerability. So one question is, I understand how the first thing happens. We already talked about it, Mm -hmm. you know, fake voice, fake, fake face, et cetera. What does it look like to hack or an LLM, to crowbar open an LLM so that you have access to what it has access to?
1: You're going about it a couple different ways. You're going about it through the interface. You're going about it through the APIs that it's potentially using. You're going about if, for example, somebody within the organization has some kind of rights into that LLM, you may attack that person. You get into their system and realize, okay, I can't directly attack the, you know, the domain, you know, the active directory domain, right? They're not going to but if I attack instead, I lateral across and use my rights into the LLM. The LLM has rights into that. Now I can oh, I get so, to it. Yeah. So, so it's a okay, lateral. Let's think it was
0: backwards. Okay, so so right. I can't get I can't as it were directly hack the LLM, but I can hack this person who has access to it. So I get this person's corporate account login, blah, blah, blah. And now I can log into the LLM and then whatever. He has he or she has access to Whatever the LLM has access
1: to, and then you go sure. in that way. That's that's, that's one way. way. Right, that's one way. Another way would that be to of... go directly through the user interface. Right, yeah, how does that work? So one, for Chat GPT, like? you're using a web browser, and you're sure. connecting and sending commands through that. If on their web page they haven't secured it properly, you may be able to get past that and be able to issue commands uh, that are not informational. They're actually control commands for that Mm -hmm. right and so anytime you have an interface that is public you have to make sure it's protected okay so that's another one i see so the idea is something like there are there tell me if this is right there are
0: ways of as it were talking to an llm you engage with it in a certain way such that it's not giving you answers to questions but it's being receptive to directions you're giving it
1: yes yes
0: so you can undo as it were you know how i told you you know, don't disclose such and such information. Well, I've changed my mind. Now I want you to disclose it and then it discloses it. And that's a
1: way, but is that the idea? No, think of it this way. There was, and this was a great little hack. And this was many, many years ago in London. They've got a huge number of cameras and these cameras are designed to read license plate numbers. They take the image, they then do optical scan on that image, read the plate and input it into a database. Okay. SQL database. Yeah, getting
0: tickets this way in New York City.
1: Yeah, a very creative person decided to put a a sign over his license plate, Mm. which was actually a SQL hack, right? So if you put this code inside a SQL database, it would hack and follow a certain instruction. That's insane. And so... So He put the hack on there and then the instruction was delete all. Right. It's so incredible. when the television so, so scanned it, it right, the code. In theory, it would take it, optical scan that, 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 those texts, put it in the field because of a vulnerability in the database, which they eventually closed. Right. It would then yeah. uh, uh, execute arbitrary commands that would then delete the database. We saw another situation, <laughs> and this was almost 20 years ago. It was at a conference, and I'm not sure how many security professionals remember this, but it was famous at the time. There was a vendor, and the vendor had worked on a tool that could basically automate functions just from what you say. So you want to open up a folder, you just tell it to open a folder or create this or whatever. And apparently they had worked on it all night the the previous night to finish some tweaks on it. But the next morning... They went in and stood up on stage and ran this this demo live with a microphone. And yeah. the CEO was up there and talking and saying, you know, hey, I can do this and was giving commands. Somebody out in the audience yelled out format C. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And the system heard it, formatted the hard disk and destroyed all the code. Like <laughs> oh that's insane. So, again, the attackers don't play by the rules. They see brutal. it as a tool. And the person did it as a joke. But the system yeah. heard it and just followed the instructions. Because that's what it yeah, was going to do. The system doesn't get jokes. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Of, know, how of, about so, you just yeah. destroy my entire product? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but the tool did exactly what it was supposed to do.
0: But it got hacked. Okay. So, to put it sort of, you know, as not you know non-technically, obviously, <laughs> there are certain kinds of ways of getting some malicious code into a system. That's the short of it. You write some malicious code, and if it can get imported into the system, then it'll wreak whatever havoc it's meant to wreak. That's the that's the idea. Yes. And so maybe that comes through something you put on a license plate, and the camera scans it and imports into its system and deletes stuff. Maybe it's voice, and you say certain things, mm-hmm. like format C, yes, 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 and then it imports that, and it does the thing. Or maybe... It's an LLM web interface, and you pop some code in there, and it ingests it, right. and instead of treating it like a question, it just does
1: whatever the program tells it to do. So it somehow <laughs> Or some your works, web it's... server has a vulnerability in, the web server that you're hosting this from, and somebody can mm-hmm. hack that. Right? Because, again, you have to now expose this LLM to your audience, which means you're going to put it I on see, the web right. server. You're going to put it on right. the application
0: so server. L- the LLM is connected to other kinds of technology that are yeah. not in the control uh-huh. of the builders, of the foundation mm-hmm. model builders. And so now they have
1: a, a vulnerability because of their partnership with. Yes, you know, potentially. Yeah. And there's other things, right? If you want your LLM to have access, you're probably writing APIs, right? application protocols for information, pulling it back and forth. So you're creating new APIs. That's awesome if they're written appropriately. Unfortunately, a lot of APIs have vulnerabilities in them. So you've now, in order to deploy your tool, you've created new APIs to connect to sensitive data stores, but you didn't write them correctly. Yeah. and But they're out there, which means the end user or the attacker may not even care about the interface, they're just connecting to that server and going, okay, what APIs do you have here? Which ones can I abuse? I I see, right.
0: In order for, you know, open AI to allow different companies to use chat GPT, it creates a certain kind of, you know, door and lock. Yeah. And it might turn out that the key that opens it opens up more than the door they intended it to
1: open. Absolutely. And anytime we deploy new technology, this is a risk. There is a relationship though. The more you rush the less security you tend to have. So if we were all calm and thinking, okay, let's take a year to to create the AI system or an LLM or or, something to put out there and let's do all the appropriate testing and let's validate all this and let's do pen tests and then we're gonna release it, your risk becomes very, very low because you're following a good methodical security architecture process. Is that really what we're seeing? Or are we seeing everybody rushing to the door <laughs> yeah, to get sure. the minimum viable product out and you hear echoes of security in the background and they're thinking, "Ah, oh, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. Let me get this out there. That poses an uncharacteristically high level of risk. And it yeah. just propagates because everybody else wants to rush out. And the hackers are over there going, oh, this is going to be good. The vulnerabilities are going to be so vast. I'm going to have my choice. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay. That's- so
0: now we've got t- – so taking a step back, we've got two kinds of two kinds of problems, the sexy and the non-sexy. The sexy one is the identity stuff, the faking mm-hmm. identity, where it seems mm-hmm. like there's no – not only is there no silver bullet, but there doesn't even seem to be a suite of effective practices that will protect people. You know, something sort of seems like a game of whack-a-mole or – Use very, very use case or not use case, but very, I don't know, event specific issues that you have to do something about. I don't know. So, but anyway, there's that. And I guess maybe one reason it's sexy well, one, it's sort of mission impossibly, which is yes. kind of cool. And also, it's so, it seems to be such a hard problem to solve. And then the other kinds that we articulated interacting directly or indirectly with, say, an LLM. Or what, you, what did you call it, a horizontal attack or a lateral attack? It's a lateral attack, yes. lateral. you you're, compromise say, the
1: system, you can move around, basically. Right.
0: And, and for that, it seems like more standard, if you like, pre-gen AI
1: cybersecurity strategies and tactics are appropriate. Yes. But those problems can be very pervasive. We saw this when cloud first came out, and everybody rushed to it. And you even heard the cloud mm. providers go, oh, we're secure. And people believed it. And the security right, people right. are raising the red flags going, no, it's just somebody else's computer, one that we can't see. <laughs> <laughs> it's not secure. <laughs> well, and it Okay. Took so a while it took a couple of years and a lot of big hacks before, okay, well, we're developing security tools now, right? Okay. And- that's interesting. That, that was going to be
0: my question. My question is going to be something like, I don't know, what if I said something like, and this is not my position, just, you know, <laughs> sort of like devil's advocate. Suppose I say, listen, everyone went crazy over cloud but it's worked out. I guess your response is already, well, in some sense, it's worked out. People have done it and some people have not been hacked, but lots of people have been hacked and have lost data and have been compromised in various ways. And and that is what caused it to be better than, better today than it was yesterday. Uh, but it's still not great, I take it. And that's the same thing with, with generative AI. You, you, you might not get hacked, but lots of people are going to. Um, and if we do, if it is all okay in the end, that's going to be after there's a bunch of pain fill.
1: And I think we're more aware of the potential impacts. When people went to cloud back in 2015, in a single year, in California, 40% of all healthcare records were breached. One Holy year. Holy shit. Wow. And then, oh, okay. well, back Wait. then, we're like, ah, who would care? I don't care if my healthcare records are breached. Now we're a little bit more savvy. And now- when you say 40% well, it it of healthcare records- are record it. It.
0: When you say 40% of healthcare records in California, does that mean 40% of the set of all records, does it mean 40% of the organizations that hold records, does it mean what is that
1: what does that mean? 40% of Californian citizens had their healthcare records exposed. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a big number. It's an ugly number. It it really yeah. was. Uh, we were flabbergasted and we are the you know the industry is going to go nuts over this and nobody cared. The public at that point back in 2015 didn't care. Right. That's so interesting. So now and there's more regulations, and there's this and that, and, and there would be massive lawsuits, and people would leave their, you know, healthcare, and companies would abandon one for the. No- the situation's changed. So if we just go historically, oh well, you know, cloud turned out okay. We're in a different world now, right? And the data that we're looking at these AI systems are. Support- Extremely good at aggregating data from different databases, right? Synthesizing it in to be able to come up with more and better accurate realistic results, which means you're connecting them to more databases. So now you have a breach like that. It isn't just your healthcare; It's your healthcare, your finance, you know, pictures of your children. I mean, all these other things are now available because we've created a system that connects to all of them. The greater the value, the more inherent risk that is that, that comes with it. So AI, especially generative AI, incredibly powerful, tremendous good and wonderful things. Yes, we want it. We embrace it. But we can't ignore that little voice in the back of our head. There is an equitable amount of risk if we don't address it that comes with all that goodness. Yeah. Other kinds of risks that we need to be aware of, or does that pretty much cover them? There are other kinds of risks. You can, so with AI systems, it, it really depends on who you're talking to, right? If you are the product owner of this AI system, this generative AI system in your company, you want that IP, the engine, right? You want that protected. You don't want your competitors to go out and be able to copy your secret sauce and duplicate what you're doing. So, okay, sure. we've got more IP to protect. You talk to the privacy people and they're like, oh, well, wait a second. Let's see what data is going out, right? And who can get access to that? Hey, security, make sure we don't have inappropriate data, right? Privacy, personal identifiable, healthcare, financial data, whatever, being exposed. And if you de-identified, the very tool we're using to access it may be able to re-identify it. (laughs) Uh Right. So the
0: issue is, Okay, listen. If you're going to use, if you're going to use a third party like a, an OpenAI or a Microsoft or a mm-hmm. Google or whatever, then what you'd better do is, I guess the thought is, use a filter, some kind of filter, for PII, personal identifiable information, or other kinds of sensitive information or corporate information, before it actually gets sent out, you know, over the wire, as it were, to the foundation model company. Is that the, is that the idea? It is. But it might not be
1: sufficient. It might not be sufficient because, again, AI is really good at inferring conclusions. So if I ask it a question, hey, you know, out of my employees, how many are going to inappropriate websites? Now, you may have a filter out there that blocks the names. So it may come back and say 10, 10 employees. Okay, but I don't know who. Yeah. All right. Can you show me the 10 employees that are going to inappropriate websites? No, I can't. I don't have the names. Oh, okay. Can you tell me the n- machine names of the 10 employees? Oh, well, sure. Cause machine names, that's, that's, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so these are the machine yeah. names. Okay. Can you cross reference the machine names with the employees who own these machines? Yeah. Here you go. Here's, <laughs> here are the employee names of those 10 machines. Yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. Because you have access to all this. And I can yeah. put queries in very quickly <laughs> and and basically undermine those filters. Okay, so
0: we've got these sexy problems, we've got the non-sexy. The non-sexy are roughly addressable by more or less standard cybersecurity strategy practice, et cetera. Yes. Is one more pressing than the other? Is should should organizations be should should it be more like okay, listen, there's a bunch of cyber risks that relate to LLMs. Let's make sure we double down on existing cybersecurity practices,
1: especially in light of the fact that we don't really
0: know what to do about the sexy problem.
1: I would say every company is different because some are more regulated than others. And so the right answer is include your cybersecurity professionals in that early discussion around architecture and what's going to be accessed and things like that because they already know what's important, right? They already have in the back of their mind or on a list somewhere, these are the important assets, these are the parameters that I need to protect. If you're creating something that's gonna punch holes through that, they're gonna be able to to work with the product development team very, very quickly and go, okay, I see what you're doing here. There's a risk, let's figure out how we manage that risk. Maybe right. and it, maybe, might a, it
0: might be a might be a sexier, non-sexy one. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's it's not a sexy discussion. It's just good yeah. cyber risk management. But the ha- security professional can't help you very much if you knock on their door and go, hey, we're releasing this, this chat, you know, LLM tomorrow. Can you secure it for us? Right. No, of course, I can't. Not. Right. <laughs> right, right. Or what bad things could happen? I don't know. I don't know how you designed it, right? So start early, get the insights, incorporate it in. So I know
0: one of the kinds of conversations that are going on with companies is they're trying to figure out, do we access a third-party foundation model through an API like an open AI? Do we use open source instead? Do we bring the LLM onto our own servers so nothing is going out? Do you have thoughts about this in relation to cybersecurity practices?
1: Yeah. Anytime they're using a third party and you're sending your data out to them, you need to be very careful because any data you're sending to them basically can be exposed. Their security becomes your security and their security weaknesses now become your security weaknesses. That's true for the data. That's true for any type of trust that is set up between your environment and their environment. You may have two one-way trusts set up between domains or something, right? And that can get you in some hot water. So you need to know your partners real well. You need to know that they're doing their due diligence and due care and that their security controls are equitable to yours. And that includes not only the prevention, but also what happens when something bad happens? Are they just going to be quiet? Are they going to engage you quickly? Are you guys going to jointly work on that issue as a crisis response team? You know, so you need to know who you're partnering with because you're opening the door to your house. Be very careful.
0: So it sounds like cybersecurity best practices don't work with a third party,
1: try to bring it all in house. That's expensive, right? And that's a trade off when we look at security, we have to look at the risks, the costs, and friction to either users or developers or whatnot. We have to find that right optimal balance. We may be willing to accept more risk for lower cost, right? Or less friction. It just all depends. So that's the world that we live in. And dealing with AI systems is no different. What I would say is make sure you trust whoever is or could represent a potential risk to what you hold most valuable. Yeah. So ethics, trusts, all those kinds of things, partnership, communication, those are vitally important. If you're going to expose yourself, you expose yourself, you expose your partners, you expose your customers, your reputation, it just all goes downhill.
0: Right, so here's elsewhere, stop exposing yourself.
1: (laughs) Don't expose yourself, Reed. stop exposing (laughs) yourself. I will try, no promises.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, Matt, when you figure out how to make me stop exposing myself, number one, and number two, figure out this identity problem thing, you're going to have to come back and tell us how... You no, know, you can talk about blockchain then. You can tell <laughs> us the, the, the great, how blockchain is the great savior of identity
1: verification. Well, this arms race is not going away anytime soon. But the good thing to know, because you know, we shouldn't be panicking too much, we do need to know there is that arms race. It's not just the attackers that are innovating. We're having great companies and brilliant people that are also trying to counter that. And I'll give you an example for deep fakes, right? The attackers jumped onto it very, very quickly. You can do lots of malicious and mean things with deep fakes, funny things too. Great. We saw some companies come out and go, Hey, we've developed a deep fake checker that will identify deep fakes. In fact, a very large sure, company yeah. came out, and I think they said it was like ninety-six or ninety-nine percent accurate. And potentially, at the time they came out with it, it might have been, but after you know a short period of time, somebody actually scrutinized it, and it was nowhere near that accurate.
0: And yeah, every yeah.
1: day, it's going to get less and less accurate. Why? Because well, the other side continues to innovate and get better. So, but there are efforts. It's not just, you know, the bad guys are running rampant and the world is not doing anything about it. There is. sure. So it will be a continual issue. Last last question
0: before we wrap up. One of the things that technologists seem to be excited about with regards to verifying whether something is generated by AI or not. So whether it's a piece of information is watermarks. We need some kind of watermark on AI generated content. I imagine, so just tell me if I'm mistaken, that there's also going to be a cat and mouse game about hacking those watermarks and deleting them, creating them back and forth. And so it's not like there's this, even if you can watermark it all, there's still going to be cyber attacks, it's going to be a cat and mouse
1: game with all that stuff as well. Absolutely. That sound right? Absolutely. You know, we saw it with images, we saw it with music, we we see it with movies. It's a continual thing. These generated and synthetic images is the same thing. You can put watermarks, you know, either on the visual media itself or in the audio, you can put it on the file, you can encrypt it in headers, you can do all sorts of things. And guess what? The attackers can try and reverse or undermine it. There are some methodologies that are a little better or even significantly better doing cross checks and, you know, even using blockchain, I won't get into it, but again, The cost thing goes up and the friction goes up significantly. So yeah, you have more better risk management. Your risks are lower, but you've now increased the cost and the friction and people tend not to like that, right? They tend not to use that. So again, you got to find that optimal balance. There's no perfect solution. Yeah. All right.
0: That is no perfect solution. and In some cases, it seems like there's just no solution. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Well, Matt, this this has been super helpful, really interesting stuff. Thanks. I'll see you again.
1: Cheers.